Hello, and welcome to another Newsmakers podcast. Today we're talking with John Melkai, Director of Government Affairs at Heating, Air Conditioning, and Refrigeration Distributors International, or Hardy, about the recent regional standards settlement, which Hardy, of course, was instrumental in developing. So thanks for joining us today, John. Thank you for having me. So it's been a few weeks now since Hardy and the other parties involved in the regional standards lawsuits filed a joint settlement in the case, which is a big story for us, and the case has been ongoing now for more than two years. So before we get into the settlement, though, can you kind of walk us through the history of this uh, lawsuit over the past few yeah, years? Yeah, absolutely. The lawsuit started as a result of a direct final rule, uh, which the Department of Energy finalized in October of 2011, which seems like a really long time ago. As I say that, the Department of Energy utilized a direct final rule procedure, and in doing so, uh, which allows them to expedite uh, the rulemaking process when there is a unanimous agreement and no opposition. Um, as you, you and your audience are well aware, that wasn't the case with this uh, particular regulation. In December of 2011, uh, the American Public Gas Association filed a petition with a D.C. Court of Appeals. Um, shortly thereafter, Hardy and ACA, uh, the Air Conditioning Contractors of America, filed uh, petitions to intervene on behalf of APGA. On the opposing side of the lawsuit was the Department of Energy, and intervening on their behalf was a variety of uh, energy efficiency advocates and AHRI. So that kicked off the lawsuit. Throughout the year 2012, there were court filings back and forth as the case proceeded along. In October of 2012, we received notice that uh, a mediation had been requested. However, as part of that mediation, none of the intervening parties were allowed to participate. What was produced from that mediation was an agreement between APGA and the Department of Energy which would vacate and remand the furnace standard, essentially removing the furnace standard that was finalized in the direct final rule. Hardy had no objection to APGA seeking a settlement, but we did not believe that the settlement addressed all of our concerns. So in response to the proposed settlement, we filed a, a motion to substitute, which would have allowed APGA to make a settlement with the government, but would allow Hardy to substitute in their place and continue the lawsuit to address all of the other remaining issues in the lawsuit, which were all initially brought up by APGA in all of their initial court filings. That obviously was not well received by the defendants in this case, and uh, there were many objections to our motion to substitute, and uh, it led to a, a series of filings which continued on into 2013. I would say probably the big milestones in this case were in May of 2013. The court asked to be rebriefed on all of the issues regarding the case, including our motion to substitute, which other parties had opposed. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they were interested in hearing more about our motion to substitute gave us some hope. Again, parties tried to ask the court to eliminate our motion to substitute uh, from the process. And in August of last year, the court uh, rejected that proposal and said, no, we're, we want to hear what Hardy has to say on this motion to substitute, as well as some other issues. That final, I think that's what probably was really the the driver in pushing this thing towards settlement talks. And, and those began in the winter of last year and the early part of this year, and we were able to come to an agreement. Speaking of the agreement, um, what exactly is in it? And we already know Hardy's role in developing the agreement, but can you kind of go into that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. 
the furnace settlement which APGA was able to um, had previously secured with the Department of Energy mm-hmm. stays. So that portion of the direct final rule is vacated and remanded. So the department agrees they're going to create a new furnace rule. Mm-hmm. They've made some commitments to do so in, in a more transparent manner. And, you know, in all likelihood, if, if it's done in two years, we won't have a new furnace, an active uh, standard in place until 2021 or 2022. They'll finalize the standard in a few years, but there has to be a lead time for manufacturers in the industry to prepare for that. Right. On the air conditioning side of the rule, the central air conditioning regional standard stays in the south and southwest along with the single package air conditioning standard in the southwest. Mm-hmm. Those stand, and we were able to get the department to agree to, is an 18-month sell-through of existing inventory or inventory that was manufactured by the end of this year, a commitment that the department would not penalize distributors as part of enforcement, and a commitment to use a letter from the industry as the basis for examining some rule changes to the direct final rule process. Well, that's all, I mean, that's that's kind of a victory for Hardy then, huh? It is an absolute uh, victory for us. Um, you know, I think we had, our members were very clear in what we wanted, and we wanted to have some avenue to sell our inventory so that nobody would be subject to a severe financial loss on the date that the standard went effective. Because this is different. This is an installation ban by law versus a manufactured by date ban, which our industry is traditionally used to. This is something completely different. So we now have, for those impacted members, 18 months or a season and a half to sell their existing inventory, which was something that our membership at our annual conference signaled to leadership was an absolute must-have. The other thing that they said was a must-have was no distributor liability on the enforcement of this, and that was something that we were able to secure. So I think from where we stood on the day that the direct final rule was finalized and on where we stood on the day that the initial APGA DOE settlement was proposed Mm -hmm. and where we stood on the final day, we were in a substantially better place, not only as distributors, but as an industry. And I did forget one thing in the settlement, which is that the department agreed to accept a petition for a negotiated rulemaking on enforcement, which I think all of the industry thinks is probably the best avenue to develop an effective enforcement scheme. Right. And I know there's not an enforcement scheme at all for furnaces because they w- wouldn't have developed that until it went into effect, correct? So that, that doesn't exist yet and won't exist till 2021 or whatever. It, well, it, it won't exist until there is a regional standard for the product. Right. There's no guarantees that the Department of Energy is going to come up with a regional standard for furnaces when they do their forthcoming rulemaking. Okay. Interesting. So this can be really confusing for members because, you know, last year it was, oh, the furnace standards are going to into effect May 13th or May 1st, 2013, but then, oh, no, they're not, you know, and then these standards are going into effect now for air conditioners and heat pumps and other furnaces that weren't covered in the settlement on January 1st, and it's terribly confusing. And so I'm, I'm wondering, what are you hearing from your members? What are they concerned about? What are they asking you, and what are you hearing from them? The number one issue that we're getting questions about has to do with the heat pump standard. Because the heat pump standard is changing on January 1st, 2015, we're getting a lot of questions on that. What we've been telling people is is simply that the heat pump efficiency standard is a national standard. 
Therefore, the 18-month limitation on a sell-through doesn't necessarily apply. And it's, it's essentially business as usual as it's always been. But there is going to be an increase in, in the SEER rating on heat pumps, and people need to be aware that that is still in play in both the North and South, but it's a national standard and not a regional one. So, therefore, the limitations with sell-through and enforcement don't apply. Okay. So is there somewhere that your members and maybe people who are listening to this podcast can go to kind of just get an idea of what goes into effect when and where? And uh, Yeah, I believe actually uh, Hardy, ACA, and AHRI all have information related to standards and when they take effect on their respective websites. And uh, in fact, your organization, the news, does a great job with keeping that information around. Well, we get that information from you and ACA and AHRI. So. <laughs> and, you know, if somebody wants to get verified, I think it, you know, the Department of Energy has that information as well. Okay. So um, I'm curious now. A year ago, I mean, you, you were saying that Hardy was pretty alone in its battle when it kind of took over and wanted to keep going, you know, to challenge the, the air conditioning standards. And it was you against everybody else for a while there. And even our editor-in-chief, Kyle Gargiro, he wrote an editorial saying, oh, please give it up, Hardy. Just stop. Let it be. <laughs> and... Uh-huh. In the end, you ended up prevailing and getting a result that was really good for the industry. So was it hard kind of sticking to your guns when you had so many people telling you, please just drop it? You know, um, I think uh, all of the um, the credit in securing this or, or much of it goes to our leadership. You know, I expect to hear some negative thoughts every now and again. It's just the nature of what we do as an association. But our board members, we're particularly hearing it from a lot of their uh, channel partners. And, um, you know, to their credit, we have had a board and really uh, four presidents, Richard Cook, Bud Mingledorf, Brian Cobble, and now Royce Henderson, who've all kept their eye on the larger view of this thing, which has allowed us to pursue the case in the most effective way and not necessarily the most expedient way. Yes, there was certainly a lot of channel feedback and negative comments made to what we were doing, including Kyle's. But I think when I brought up Kyle's editorial to my board, they, you know, they said, "Who's that?" Uh, oh. So he wasn't. Uh, oh. No, so his name is not one that that necessarily influences what we did. Although oh. our uh, our then president Brian Cobble did write a significantly kinder uh, response to the editorial than maybe I would have. Um, you know, the thing, I think having a long-term view, uh, we, we had a board that was committed on getting the best result for the industry, not necessarily for their companies, uh, because at certain points it would have been a better deal to take, you know, to go ahead and get this thing settled for certain companies. Mm-hmm. But that never came up. It was about what's the best strategy for our membership and for our industry. And we had taken, you know, had discussions about this with our membership at our annual conference on multiple occasions. And we took that feedback and we developed our strategy based upon that. And we were very fortunate to have leadership that was patient and willing to take some stones thrown their way in order to get this result that now everybody is happy with. And we'll all put the negative stuff in the back of our mind. (laughs) Speaking of being happy with this, I know that the way that you worked together with AHRI and ACA and other organizations definitely changed as you know, just over the past year as you went from being, you know, alone all by yourself over here trying to continue the case to having to, you know, file briefs to then working together 
to come up with this settlement, which everyone agreed upon, which I've been told is amazing that everybody actually agreed upon. Uh-huh. So how has your relationship and communication changed over the past year between you and ACA and AHRI? You know, I think it's uh, it's undoubtedly improved. After the August ruling by the court, I think that that allowed all the other parties in the suit to kind of recalibrate and look at look at the position we had attained and say, okay, well, you know, let's see if we can find a workable solution. Because as we'd said all along, we had never held the position that a settlement was out of the realm of possibilities. We were always, you know, uh, had held the position that we would entertain those talks. And to our industry partners' credit, they um, were able to work with us, and we came to a, a solution. And I think certainly laid the framework for, as uh, Brian Cobble, our former president, often calls it, the three-legged stool of the HVAC industry, manufacturers, distributors, and contractors, mm-hmm. kind of coming together and being able to make decisions in the best interest of the industry together. And yeah, it wasn't easy, but uh, we got there at the end. And you know, we appreciated the support of the manufacturers and contractors in helping us push this along. I, you know, it was nice to read kind words from uh, both parties acknowledging that it was our leverage that helped get us to this result. And you know, I think the points of the settlement are clearly address a lot of the concerns that Hardy had, and we appreciate the support of those folks in helping us achieve those. And now we can move forward. And you know, we want to be supportive of each other. It's a, it's we make for a much um, stronger industry when we're all in alignment, and I think that's definitely going to be the case moving forward. And it has been on the government affairs level for some time. I mm-hmm. I know some folks may find this hard to believe, but we actually do have a weekly call in the industry to try to keep everybody abreast of where our respective organizations are at and what issues that we're tracking. That's very cool. Yeah, I remember talking to uh, Steve Urich from AHRI for some quotes, and he, he was definitely patting Hardy on the back and... Uh, it was a big old love fest when I was writing the, the final <laughs> settlement story. Yeah, it was. You know, I think we were able to deliver the settlement, at least gives the manufacturer some certainty that they wanted, and ACA as well gets some certainty, and their members in the northern region who were extremely opposed to the furnace standard, you know, get some relief from that faulty standard that was developed. And so I think everybody's got something that they can take to their respective memberships and say, we did good, we did the best that we could do. And and that's good. And I know that the uh, respective boards have interacted on a regular basis. And I think that's important for our industry to have that open channel of communication. So, yes, it's a kumbaya love fest in the HVAC <laughs> industry right now. <laughs> well, that, that's good. I'm pleased to see that. I always like when people get along. And, <laughs> and I also like when people kind of, well, I don't want to say you stuck it to the government here, but... It is kind of a little bit of a slap on the wrist for the Department of Energy, you know, basically saying, eh, you didn't do so good this time around. Like, how about you go and try it again? Does it set a precedent then? Will it actually make sure that regulatory bodies like DOE and EPA, whatever, follow their own rules now when they're developing regulations? Well, you know, you certainly hope so. Um, And I think a lot of the answer to that question will come forth in subsequent rulemaking on the DOE's use of the direct final rule process. But... They've now, on a couple of different regulatory matters, not just this direct final rule, but on a a related matter, I believe the Hearth uh, Barbecue Patio Association was successful in winning a legal challenge against them on a similar regulatory issue. You know, they've lost a couple times, and you would hope that they've learned their lesson. I think as it relates to the folks that we've been dealing with throughout this process, I think they certainly have. Our Hardy's concern was not just limited to the current DOE. It's about a long-term precedent because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a very good chance that the people that were at the negotiating table a few months ago 
you know, in five years that many of those people aren't going to be there. Mm-hmm. And you need to make sure that uh, protections are in place so that people are following the rules. And to win a challenge like this reflects not only on the fact that we were right in our assumptions and in our legal arguments, and that at the end of the day, I think they agreed with that, or they wouldn't have come to the settlement table. I think it's a victory. I, I know that our our attorney's cause of action did a fantastic job in pointing out the missteps that were made by the DOE during this process, and I think that argument will go a long way in setting a precedent on how these things should be handled. And I think, you know, we made some interesting legal arguments during the case that are, I think, going to stick in the back of a lot of people's mind moving forward. I think you're right. And I congratulate you on your settlement. And I honestly, what am I going to write about now, John? There's no state. We've been writing about this for more than two years. What are we going to do over here? I don't know. It's, uh, uh, let's just not hope it's Shaheen Portman for the next four <laughs> years. Or we'll, you'll have as much hair as I have. Oh, um, no. <laughs> but, you know, our industry is not one that's known for a lot of contention. And certainly this caused a lot of friction. But I'm very pleased, you know, that everybody was able to come together and agree to a good settlement. Mm-hmm. A good settlement. I think everyone agrees that the process the DOE used wasn't exactly right, and some of the things that brought about the direct final rule shouldn't have necessarily come out that way. But at the end of the day, we're able to sit here and say, we got something that's good for the industry. We made the best of a bad situation, and it took some bumps to get there, but we are there. And for me, it's just a uh, yeah, a little vindication for our board of directors, leadership, and membership. And we have to thank the manufacturers and uh, contractors and NRDC and all of the advocates for um, engaging in productive talks at the end. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't top that. That's a great way to end an interview. So um, do you have anything else that you maybe want to add before we uh, wrap this up? Uh, That's all for me on this topic. Uh, Hopefully Mm -hmm. we don't have anything. uh, I never have to use the word DFR or DC (laughs) Court of Appeals, at least for, for a little period of time. Yeah. No kidding. Like I said, we'll miss it here. It's kind of been a, you know, a cash cow for us. You know, people love reading about regional standards, so we'll miss it in that respect, but that is the only way that we'll miss it over here, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for joining us, John. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. All right, we hope you enjoyed our Newsmakers podcast featuring Hardy's John Malkai. For the latest HVACR industry news, information, videos, and podcasts, please visit www.achrnews.com. <laughs>